you would join me in honoring the public reading of God's Word. Go ahead and rise to your feet. We are in James chapter 4. If you have your Bibles, you could turn there. Otherwise, if you open up your bulletin, the text is also inside your bulletin this morning. James chapter 4, only two verses this morning. But church, don't get too excited and say we're going to lunch early. Because there is a whole lot in these two verses this morning. James chapter 4, starting in verse 11. Do not speak evil against another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you? to judge your neighbor. So reads God's written word, his holy, infallible, inerrant word. Please be seated, church. Everybody strapped in, buckled up, ready for a ride to continue through James? Just two verses and very, very heavy verses this morning. Previous to this, if you've been with us or have your Bible open, the previous verse in James, James chapter 10, we looked at it last week or excuse me, James verse 10 of chapter 4, he shows the true mark of a genuine believer is humility. Humility. To be humble. But now he flips over into these next verses and shows how humility is quickly violated and how pride is quickly exposed. And how is it? He's mentioned it before. The tongue. Those of you that have been with us and went through James chapter 3, he exposed how that tongue reveals what is in the heart. Back in James chapter 3, verse 9, James wrote, With it, speaking of the tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. In your bulletins there was a quote from Sinclair Ferguson. He wrote, If we thought about fellow believers as people in whom the Lord Jesus dwells, would we not treat each other differently? Think about that. Do you think we would have different speech that comes out about other believers if we had this mindset? That the Lord dwells in them. I want you to think about how people often speak of other people. This text, by the way, is referring to believers. When it says brothers, it's talking about fellow believers. This is not talking to people outside the church. It's talking about people within the church. In our study this morning, we're going to look at three different things. One, we'll look at wrong judgment. Two, we're going to look at right judgment. And lastly, we're going to look at ultimate judgment. So let's start with the first point, wrong judgment. Look again with me at verse 11. James writes, Do not speak evil against another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. He starts and says, do not speak evil against one another. This word speak evil in the Greek, katalaleo. It means direct translate. Some of your Bibles, depending on what translation, it says slander. But the word goes far beyond that. It refers to mindless, thoughtless, careless, Critical, derogatory speech directed at others. I'll say that again. Mindless, thoughtless, 
careless, critical, derogatory speech that's directed against others. Here, James is specifically writing about other believers, that there are those who profess Christ, those who are within the church, and this is the way they speak about other believers in the church. Many, many Christians have a pretty casual attitude about slander, even though it's destructive. They excuse it away. It's interesting to look back at probably one of the best English dictionaries written, which was the 1828 Noah Webster Dictionary. He defined slander this way. He said, it is a false tale or report maliciously uttered and tending to injure the reputation of another by lessening him in the esteem of his fellow citizens, by exposing him to impeachment and punishment, or by impairing his means of living. Slander is a direct attack at a person's dignity. It vilifies their character, destroys their reputation, which the Bible in Proverbs 22 verse 1 says is our most priceless worldly asset. Our reputation, that a good name is better than riches, but slander attacks it directly. Even our secular government understands the evil of slandering a person. As they allow a person to sue on the basis of the grounds of defamation of character. But with all that said about slander, the word James uses here is even broader. When he says, do not speak evil against another, the literal translation is this. Do not speak down on one another, others. Do not speak down. So slander is malicious speech that is untrue. But here James commands and he forbids any speech, whether it's true or if it's false, which tears down another person. Stop and chew on that for a second. I'm going to guess that all of us have been guilty of this at one time or another, where we speak in a way that tears down another person. Maybe it's behind their back. And we're going to look at various reasons why we would even engage in such a thing. But most of us, I would say, unanimously would raise our hands and say, we know slander is sinful and it's wrong. We know it. Yet some of us still commit the sin of slander. But even more convicting from this text this morning, as I said, to hold on, is the fact that the command here is to refrain from all judgmental speech that intends to tear down someone else, even if it's totally true. You guys pick up that last piece? That's where we like to justify ourselves when tearing down somebody, but it's true. And we're going to unpack that a little bit this morning. So here's the sad reality. While many people agree that slander is sinful and it's wrong because it includes lying, many people think it's okay to pass along negative information if it's true. And that's how they justify it. With the mindset of it's true, if it's true, it's free to be shared, it leads to all types of sinful behavior. Let's talk about some of those. How about criticism behind someone's back? Maybe you've engaged in it or someone you know has you've allowed them to engage speaking critically of another. By the way, as your pastor, I can tell you studying through the book of James has been heart surgery for me as well. And as we get into this section, whoa. 
James 4.11. I have told my family, that is a great reminder. 4.11 is James 4.11. That if any of us begin to engage in any type of speech that is tearing down another person, 4.11. Not looking for information, but remindful that James forbids us to speak of anybody in that manner. 4.11. Oftentimes we think, well, if it's true, I can be critical of the person behind their back. No, that's speaking evil against them. How about gossip? Do you know as Christians, we often don't call gossip gossip? We could even go into prayer, into a prayer meeting, and gossip about somebody and say, well, we're just asking for prayer for them when it actually is slandering that person or speaking evil against them. But sometimes we say, but it's true. So it's got to be okay because it's true. Just because something is true does not give us a license to speak evil of other people. That's what James is getting at the root. He's going to the root and saying, look, within the church there are those who say, hey, there's truth in it, so I'm going to speak freely, be critical, be judgmental, because it's true, and that's my out. And he goes, no, it's not. As believers, we're not to speak evil. Speaking of evil... It's a vile practice that James referred to earlier in James chapter 3, verse 16. If you recall with me in James 3:16, he said, For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there'll be disorder in every vile practice. So think about it. Selfish ambition plays out in a lot of different ways. Think about how our tongue plays into selfish ambition. Has somebody ever wronged you in your life? Don't raise your hand, but I'm going to venture to say yes. Maybe many times. And you know how the flesh wants to respond when someone violates us, when someone offends us? It's called revenge. Vengeance. And can't we do that so easily with our tongue? Go and talk to somebody else. Do you know what so-and-so did? Can you believe this? And they said this and did that, and the whole time speaking evil of them. How about this? Self-righteousness or self-elevation or self-exaltation. Or we want to feel better about ourselves. So we demean other people. Oh, look at them. Look what, they've, look what they're doing. Look what they're engaged in. And it's all about promoting ourselves. How about jealousy? Have you ever had the emotion of jealousy? Yes, and we all have. How do we respond with that? What happens with our tongue? It could be that say hurtful feelings or hurtful words, excuse me, about somebody else to tear them down. Here's the ultimate part of it. For the believer, it's the lack of being intentional to be godly with our speech. Anybody ever have like dead air time where people aren't talking and you feel kind of awkward? It's like, I got to fill the, the space here. Do you know a lot of dumb things come out of our mouth during that time? <laughs> got one person testified to that truth. A lot of dumb things come out when we are not intentional with our words. We're not intentional to be godly in our speech. Those empty words come out. And what they reveal is this. If you're taking notes, write this down. All evil speaking against others reveals a proud heart. Ouch. Anybody have a dagger you want me to remove? Because you can pull mine out too. All evil speaking against others reveals a proud heart. It means I think I'm better than them. That's why I'm going to talk down about them. 
because I believe I'm better. That's pride. So James in our text this morning says, the one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil, listen, against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. Let me ask you this. Can you discern the motivation of someone else's heart? Can you discern their heart, their, the intent of their heart? We can't do that. But how often do we say that, oh, they just did that because they wanted to be seen? Oh, did you see that person? They're raising their hands in worship. They want people to think they're holy. And we make judgment calls about people. You have no idea what's going on in their heart. We have no idea. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5, we read, Therefore do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness, and will disclose, listen, the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. God will judge everything that we do. God knows the motives of the heart. We don't. James is warning that we are sinning against the law. And you say, what, what's the law? Is that like you know, what the police officer holds up? Is that like the whole book of Moses? Is that everything Moses wrote in the law? James referred to this earlier in James chapter 2, verse 8. He said, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, here it is, ready? You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Think about that for a second. Some of us, even in a secular school, they still have the golden rules still posted in places. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. How many of us like when other people go behind our back and talk bad about us? I'm going to venture to say none of us. None of us. As a matter of fact, a lot of us get upset when we find out that there are other people that we're talking behind our back. The royal law he speaks of is loving your neighbor as yourself. We see it written in Romans chapter 13, verse 8. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. So when we speak of the law, when James refers to the law, he's talking about loving one another. How is there love in speaking words that destroy another's character? You guys realize that when we say things to one another that is in a light to, to speak negative about somebody, that we poison their mind towards that person? That that's now how they see that person? And all because maybe we were upset, we were jealous, so we vented by the way, church, the Bible doesn't speak highly of venting. The Bible says he who vents his heart is a fool. You know what happens when you vent? A lot of bad things come out. And you can't just like pull them back in. They come out. Instead, we go to him in prayer. God, help me. My emotions right now are a wreck. And God, I need help. Jesus put it this way about the royal law. He said, Matthew 22, verses 37 through 40, he was asked, what is the, the greatest commandment? Jesus says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. But he doesn't stop there. He says, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depends all of the law and the prophets. Love your neighbor. So when we speak of what James is looking at here, he's talking about within the church, fellow believers, those who have the Spirit of God, 
should never speak a word to tear down a fellow believer. But the same James that's writing this book also says that faith without works is dead. That there should be evidence in our life of true salvation. He says in this text here in verse 11, he says, If you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. Does that ring anything? Sounds similar to something he wrote earlier? James chapter 1, verse 22. When he warned to be doers and not hearers only, deceiving ourselves. No, it's not that we're just growing like, hey, I want to go to this church because we, we go line by line through the Bible, so I'm, I'm growing in all this knowledge of the Bible. Do you know there's going to be a lot of people in hell that have a ton of knowledge about Scripture? James wrote that even the demons believe and they tremble. So it's not just the knowledge. Now we're responsible for all that knowledge. It's to respond in obedience to that. That if God has taken me from darkness and made me light, that should be evident by what's coming out. Now before you get a whip out and start flogging yourself, woe is me. Realize that a Christian still sins. But a Christian's pursuit is never to sin. You guys hear that? Christians still sin, but their pursuit is never to sin. They're not chasing after sin, nor are they disguising it or calling it something different. But when they sin, they confess and they repent. God, forgive me. God, help me to turn from that. I don't want to turn back. So before you go on flogging yourself, saying, this is me, know this. If we stumble, James says we're all going to stumble. But if there's a spirit of God, there will be repentance and there will be confession of sin. Church, understand the difference between worldly sorrow and godly sorrow. The Bible says worldly sorrow, you feel bad about that sin. Man, I messed up. But you continue in it. And it, the Bible says that leads to destruction. But it says there's godly sorrow. Man, I messed up. But it leads to repentance. God, turning from that. I'm not justifying it. I'm not saying it's okay. I'm not saying it's because I'm Italian the way, the reason I speak so harshly to people. It's not an excuse. They give in the Spirit of God. James here is arguing that when we disobey the royal law of loving our neighbor, we are in, in effect claiming to be superior than God's law. We're putting ourselves above his law. In effect, we judge God's royal law as unworthy of our attention, unworthy of our affection, unworthy of our obedience, unworthy of our submission. Church, this is absolute blasphemy against God. So something we thought was so subtle, all of us thinking, oh, what's no big deal? This person did something and I'm just going to tell somebody. James lays down and says, be so careful with your words. Your words can destroy people. And your words have consequences. Be so careful. God, guard my lips. God, guard my heart. Help me to speak the truth in love. Help me not to go behind someone's back, but to go to them. That brings us to our second point this morning. I told you you're not going anywhere fast today. Point number two is right judgment. We're going to take this idea of judging from James, and I want you to complete this statement for me. Ready? It's up here. Judge not. Many of us know that. We know Jesus said judge not. 
lest you be judged. But we stop there and we think that we're never to judge one another because Jesus said, judge not, lest you be judged. Well, the point number two that we're looking at is right judgment. First, we looked at wrong judgment, being judgmental about somebody, trying to tear down their character, talking behind their back. But now there is a right judgment. When we speak and say, judge not, we're referring to Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 1, and we'll read the first five verses here. Jesus says, judge not, that you be not judged. A lot of you knew that part. But he goes on and says, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Stop there. If we stop right there, we would think, whoa, never say anything of judgment to anybody. Just zip the lip and don't say anything. But Jesus isn't finished speaking. He continues to say, why do you see the speck, the speck, like little thing of sawdust. Anybody got one in your eye? Sawdust? It messes up your vision, right? Just that tiny little speck of sawdust would mess up your vision. But look, he says, why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but not notice the log that is in your own eye? We're not talking about blurry vision at that point. We're talking about it's just gone. The log is in the eye. He says, how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is the log in your own eye? He says, you hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Church, I hope you see from Jesus' words here that there is a right time to judge. It is, doesn't mean judgmental. It means to encourage somebody in the faith. It is to look at how they're living as a Christian, and to come alongside them and to encourage them. Judgmental is where you're trying to tear them down, but the right time of is trying to build them up in the faith. But the warning from Jesus is, don't go try to encourage somebody else when they've got this, you know, you're like a sin sniffer, like, where's that? Who's in sin? I'm going to go after him. He says, first take a look in the mirror, repent, confess, and then go to that brother or sister and encourage them in the faith. Be an example to them. Those of you in the afternoon Bible study, I think it was last week or the week before, we studied this text, and it was a heavy text in that study. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 5. By the way, the church in Corinth was messed up. You know, a lot of people are always looking for the perfect church, and some of you have heard it well said that the church might be perfect until we show up, and then it's not perfect anymore. We see a lot of biblical example in the early church. A lot of churches are messed up. You know why? Because they're made of us. They're made of people who are in Adam that are now in Christ that have that inner war going on. And they're also filled with people who aren't even true believers that come in and profess the name of Christ, try to look good on the outside, but inside they're full of lawlessness. Here's what Paul wrote to the church of Corinth. Hold on to your seats. Here we go. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, starting at verse 9. He says, I wrote you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of the world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters, since then you had no need to go out into the world. Stop there. He's making a difference between those who are believers, those who are in Christ, and those who are in the world. He says the people in the world, they need to have you around so you can go share the good news of Jesus Christ with them. But he's saying those who proclaim the name of Christ, who profess they're a brother or sister in Christ, that who he's 
writing to. He says, or speaking of, verse 11. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual morality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not to even eat with such a one. Keep reading with me. For what have I to do with judging outsiders, those who are not believers, those who are in the world he's speaking of? He says, is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those on the outside. He says, purge the evil person from among you. Church, why do I share that with you this morning? Because we have a responsibility as brothers and sisters in the Lord to come alongside each other and encourage each other in the faith. It's not that we're talking behind each other's back going, oh, did you see what they did or did you hear what they said? But we're going to that person and encourage them in the faith to walk in a manner that brings glory to our Lord. It is not in a degrading manner, in a judgmental tone. It is in compassion and love that we would go to them. But it's a responsibility. I hear way too often people say, well, pastor, the Bible says judge not. But we see in Jesus' word, it says, yeah, until you take that speck out of your eye, excuse me, until you take that log out of your eye, then you can go help your brother or sister to get the speck. That's why we're gathered together, that as one, we would be united together to bring glory to God. But as we are united together, we're to walk in holiness. And I don't know about you, but I wasn't able to walk on water this morning. Didn't try, but I'm guessing it's not going to work. But I need God's grace every day. I need his spirit every day. But I also need my brothers and sisters to come alongside me and encourage me in the faith. And so do you. You need one another to come alongside you and encourage you not to tear you down. Church, we need to be so careful what the difference is. When we talk about the wrong kind of judgment, it's usually done behind their back or on social media or whatever else. And people know who they're talking about and they're, they're breaking them down. But the right kind of judgment is going to that person, come alongside them and encourage them in the Lord to have compassion on them, that they're a sinner saved by grace, just like I'm a sinner saved by grace. And that although there is sanctification, I'm becoming more and more holy as God continues to draw me to himself, and by his grace I can respond in obedience, so are they. They're growing in sanctification. We're to encourage them to walk. From our text this morning in James, James not only talks about the right type of judgment, but he gets to our third point this morning. He talks about ultimate judgment. We haven't heard enough already. Ultimate judgment. He says in verse 12 of chapter 4, there is only one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and to destroy. Our Kent Hughes said this in response to this verse. He said, only God has the right to judge. Therefore, for us to judge one another of his creatures is to usurp a right that only God has. Thus, judgmentalism is not only arrogant, but blasphemous. This alone ought to seal our judgmental, demeaning lips for eternity. I use that quote because I want you to see there's pain when he says to judge and not to judge. Are we to judge? Are we not to judge? Which one is it? We are to go and encourage each other in the faith. That is to build one another up. By looking and evaluating one another's life and the walk in the Lord, it's to encourage, to strengthen, to edify, to build up. We are not to be judgmental and say things that tear down. Does that make, make sense? One builds up, 
One tears down. James says there's only one lawgiver and judge. Book of Isaiah, verse 33, starting in verse 22, he says, For the Lord is our judge, and the Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord. There is one lawgiver, one judge, and he's able to save and to destroy. Guess what news we like better? The one who's able to save or the one who's able to destroy? Save, right? We've been saying this morning, he's mighty to save. We speak of that often. Do you guys know the hymn about mighty to destroy? Many times people don't speak of that, but the reality is he's both. He's able to save and he's able to destroy. Let's talk about him saving. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. Paul writing to the young Timothy says, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. You know what? Some of us in our self-righteousness, we don't like to be referred to as a sinner. I'm a good person. Not when we compare ourselves to the law. We're sinners. That is glorious news that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners because that includes you and it includes me. We are all sinners. And Christ Jesus came to save sinners. Jesus himself said that he came to seek and to save the lost. He came seeking. He came to save. Christ paid the full penalty of our sins. Church, you're going to hear me say this often, and that's because it's glorious news. He paid the full penalty. Because the reality is when I read Scripture and I read just the words of Jesus, he speaks that there are going to be a lot of people who think they're okay in his standing. They go to church, they read their Bible, they pray, and he's going to stand before them or they're going to stand before him, and he's going to say, depart from me, I never knew you. That is scary. And that's why I'll remind you time and time again about the glorious news of Christ. Because maybe at some point in our life, we'll go from just having a head knowledge and going through the outward acts of being religious to actually repentance and faith in Christ. Do you know you could be a member of a church for 70 years and on your deathbed come to faith and repentance in Christ? It is not by the number of years that you've attended church. It's not by how much scripture you have memorized. It's whether you've responded to the glorious news of Jesus Christ through repentance and faith. 1 John chapter 4, verse 10. Don't speak of love. So many people say, Pastor, no one's ever loved me in my life. You know, there is no greater love than the love that God has demonstrated for you. There's no greater love. 1 John chapter 4, verse 10. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That is a glorious word. And if you have not learned it by now, learn it. Propitiation. That all of us, remember Christ came to save the lost, came to save sinners. Sinners, by their own merit, going out and rebelling against the holy God, are storing up the wrath of God. That on judgment day, the wrath of God will be poured out upon them. Christ, the glorious news that when he went to the cross, he took all of that wrath upon himself. All that wrath that's supposed to be poured out upon us was poured out upon Christ. Getting pretty excited. I'm going to be worn out by the time it's over. This is amazing news, church. So 
some of us get so academic and it's like, yeah, I know that, Pastor. And but do you really? But do you really? That when you think about what Christ has done, are you in awe that you were a dead man or a dead woman walking, but he rose you up from the grave? He gave you life. Amen. That should be our life. That I was dead. That I had the wrath of God being stored up for me, but Jesus Christ went and took it all. And not only did he take my penalty, that was a transaction one way. I gave him my sin, the wrath of God, but he gave me something back. He gave me something back, and it's his righteousness. Oh, what a great deal, right? I give him sin. Oh, great for him, right? No. But you know what he gives in return? His righteousness. An amazing transaction occurred on the cross. My sin to Christ, his righteousness to me. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says, For our sake, for our church, for our sake, he made him being Christ to be sin, who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Some of you say, well, I, I don't understand. Why is that so important? Because there's no way you're going to stand before God unless you're clothed in the, in, the, excuse me, in the righteousness of Christ. That he can look upon me as though I never sinned. That I'm clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That is an amazing transaction. My sin's forgiven, but that's not enough. That's like taking a bank account, taking just away my debt, but there's nothing in there of value. It's back to zero. That doesn't help us. So taking away the wrath, taking away the penalty, took the debt, made my account zero. But what Christ did in return, he gave me his righteousness. Now my account is overflowing. That's a glorious transaction that I can stand before the Father just if I had never sinned. An amazing truth. Church, I've said it before. This is not something you get by attending church or reading your Bible or, or trying to be nice to your neighbor. Jesus made it very clear. It's through repentance and faith. Repentance means a turn 100 degrees from the way, or excuse me, 180 degrees from the way you are going. That instead of living life your way according to your standards, you turn completely the other way and turn to God. And I'll tell you this, on the day that God draws you to repentance, what I'm guessing from some of you, today is the day of salvation. Today. Tomorrow's promise to no man. Some of us keep playing with, you know what, I know these ideas, but maybe some other day I'll repent. Today is the day of salvation. Church, I plead with you. Today is the day to turn. Today is the day to seek after him. If you hear his voice, you're to turn to him. And I'm not talking about an audible hello. I'm talking about he is drawing your heart in truth to him. Today is the day that you turn. Today is the day you say, God, I don't even know what that means to turn to you, but I'm going to trust and I'm going to go that direction. And I'm going to place my hope, my trust in Jesus Christ. Then when Jesus hung on the cross and he said to tell us that, which means it is finished, that I trust that he did everything I needed, that it's done. Everything that took me from darkness to make me light was done upon that cross. And it could be instantaneous in our life today. James says there's one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. I pray today is the day of salvation. 
But the reality is, as James writes this, as James writes this, he knows those in the audience that there are some there that have no fruit of repentance. They might profess the name of Christ, but there's no evidence of it in their lives. That they have worldly wisdom, not godly wisdom. That they continue to live in selfish ambition and jealousy. And he says the same God is able to destroy. Most likely James referring to the words of Jesus. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. He said, do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. You know, Jesus spoke very directly. And some people just thought it was just like just all lofty things. No, he spoke very direct because that's how love speaks. It's truth. Both James and Jesus were referring to eternal damnation. God, church, listen, God has established a day, sovereignly established a day in which he will judge all mankind. And guess what? Human history is rushing towards that day. I was talking to Alan earlier today, just saying, you know what? We're one day closer to Christ. One day closer. Do we live in expectation of that? We're one day closer to this day when judgment will fall upon us. The reality is the judgment of God will not be arbitrary or it will not be unfair, but it's going to be marked by perfect justice. God has not only appointed a day of judgment, but he's also appointed a man who will do the judging. And that man is his son, Jesus Christ. And on that appointed day, nothing will be hidden from Christ when he judges the world. We read in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13, No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him whom we must give an account. That means every motive of the heart, every intention that we have, he knows who we are. That although we can look good on the outside, he knows what's inside. Paul, right in the churches in Rome, says this in Romans chapter 2, verse 6 through 8. You're probably becoming familiar with these verses as well. He speaks of the judgment. He says, he'll render to each one according to his works. And those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he's going to give them eternal life. He's speaking about the believers who are seeking him, who are longing for his return, who are excited about him. Look, if all we do is live in fear of judgment, we probably don't know him. There should be an excitement about seeing Christ. He says to those, excuse me, but verse 8, but for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there'll be wrath and fury. Church, my number one duty as your pastor is to make sure that happens to none of you. I would not be a loving pastor if I allowed you, if I held your hand and let you walk into death and be eternally damned. If I did not stand before you week after week and warn you that there is a judgment to come. Because the reality is I can't see your hearts. I don't know the reality of your faith in Christ. But I can remind you week after week. I can lovingly instruct you that it's faith in Christ. It's turning in repentance. Listen about this judgment that comes from Christ. It's written clearly in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 5-10. through 10. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God, for which you are also suffering, he writes, 
He says, since indeed God considers it just. Listen, you want to talk about a just God? God will repay the evil. When you see people and say, it's not fair. How come you know that person got off, off the hook and the judge didn't throw the book at them in court? God's judgment will be perfect. It says this, God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, listen, church, in flaming fire. Church, do not sing songs that says, rain down fire upon me. That is not a good thing. That's the judgment of God. There are songs over the radio saying, rain down fire. No, you don't want that. You don't want that. He's coming in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God. Listen and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Did you get that? They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because of our testimony to you was believed. Church, I didn't write this. This is the Holy Scriptures that are written from us. Or for us, excuse me. For those who have repented and placed their trust in Christ. And there's fruit of that. There should be fruit of repentance. If someone says, yes, I've repented and I've placed my trust in Christ, their lives should be a testimony of that. There should be change, internal change in their life. Look, if you were dead, but now you're alive, people should see that. There's evidence. But if the life remains the same, there's no evidence of salvation. That's what James argues throughout this entire letter. There's got to be fruit. There's got to be evidence. We have a new birth in Christ, and if we're born again in him, there should be evidence of that new life. He will save those who are his. He'll save those. But those who have not repented, those who have not trusted in God, those who have no fruit of repentance in their life, no evidence of the new birth, he's going to destroy them with eternal damnation in the final judgment. Not because he's a hateful God, not because he, he gets pleasure out of that, but that's the rightful, just judgment. Well, you want to talk about a heavy message this morning. There's a lot packed in these two verses. And we skim right over them so quickly and say, well, what does it mean to speak evil of somebody? Church, we need to be so careful. James closes his argument at the end of verse 12 and says, but who are you to judge your neighbor? Who are you to judge your neighbor? Again, not speaking of helping them, encouraging them the faith, speaking about being judgmental, being critical behind their backs, speaking about them, excusing the sin of gossip and slander. Now it's time for self-examination. The question is, who are you to judge your neighbor? I'm guessing that all of us have some form of conviction this morning when we speak of talking about somebody in a way that didn't build them up. I know I was cut to the heart as I studied through this, and I continue to be. But who are you to judge your neighbor? It's time to take that, that question and do self-examination. You know what? Guess what? I'm not God. And guess what? You're not either. 
nor am I greater than the law, and neither are you. But when we dismiss this truth, we act as though we're God. We act as though we're greater than the law, that we can go be judgmental about others, that somehow we can discern the true motives of their heart. Church, for us who have placed our faith and our hope in Jesus, this morning is a great day of repentance for all of us that it's not okay to go and speak of others in a way that tears them down because we say, oh, it's true. It doesn't matter. We are the body of Christ. We're to build up one another. If you're here this morning and the Spirit is beckoning you to salvation, which means you can't explain it, something is going on within you, that is the Holy Spirit prompting your heart that only the Spirit can draw you to the Father and through Christ. And if the Spirit is prompting your heart this morning, I don't care if you've been a member of the church for 50 years. If this morning the Spirit prompts you, respond. Right where you're at, respond. It's not about getting up. It's not about walking forward. There is no work associated other than turning to Him. Say, oh, God, forgive me. Oh, God, I turn from my ways and I turn to you. Oh, God, thank you for your patience towards me. Thank you for your love towards me. Thank you that today is the day of salvation. Friend, don't let another day go by. Tomorrow is promised to no one. If today the Spirit has revealed the reality of who Christ is and your position right now in the ultimate judgment, seek Him now. For the rest of us, church, let's take the warning serious that as believers in Jesus Christ, as those who have been sealed with the Spirit, that that other person also has the Spirit of God as well. And then we're speaking in a way that builds them up. And then we say, well, look what they're doing. Are you sure they have the Spirit of God? I shouldn't be talking to back, about them behind their back. I should go to them, encourage them in the faith. And if you have gone from darkness to light, as the Scriptures declare, then we're to walk in that light. We're to bring glory and honor to Jesus Christ. I plead with you this morning, church. And friend, if you're here today and the Spirit's calling you, let's turn from our wicked ways. Let's turn from all evil. Let's turn to God. Let's glorify Him together with one voice. He is a good, good God. Let's pray. Father, I uh, am in awe of just the unworthiness of salvation. God, there is nothing good that is in me. There's nothing good that's in this people that we have all sinned and fallen short of your glory. And God, once again, we're reminded through James' exhortation that we've sinned in many ways. God, perhaps even on the way here, speaking of somebody else in a manner that did not build them up, but destroyed them in the eyes of that person we're speaking to. God, collectively ask that you would forgive us. God, knowing that when we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Father, I pray for man or woman here today, regardless of the status of church membership or non-church member, that if your spirit has beckoned them today to follow Jesus, that they would do just that. They would not sit on that, but they would respond. That today would be a day they begin to follow Christ not according to their ways and the, and the Jesus they have manufactured in their minds, but according to your scriptures of how you have revealed your son to us. Father, we pray that this morning 
there would be a celebration in heaven as one sinner turns in repentance to you. Father, you are a mighty God. You're an awesome God. Father, be glorified in our lives. We pray you would help us to walk by your spirit, not by our flesh. For your great namesake. And we pray these things in Jesus' name.